Hi everyone and welcome back to the Reading Materials podcast. My name is Lucia and I am joined by my two friends Maria and Jess and we are talking about the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass. Last week we got to chapter 23. So this episode will cover from chapter 24 to the end of chapter 46 of A Court of Mist and Fury. So if you haven't read that then prepared to be spoiled and then in last week's episode what we covered so in the first 23 chapters of this book we had Farah first in a very dark place in the spring court and then through Tamlin locking her away in the spring court she eventually moves to the night court instead and leaves Tamlin's court and accepts an offer to start working with Rizand who is high lord of the night court so Farah has begun working with Ryzen. She's undergone some trials with him. She's met new characters who are Ryzen's uh, group of friends and advisors. And they have begun to hunt for weapons to combat the oncoming war with Highburn. Um, so immediately where we left them, they had just gone to the mortal realm to visit Farah's family. Mm-hmm. So the first kind of thing to talk about maybe is all the politics of what is happening and I phrased it as Resand's politics because Resand, as the High Lord of the Night Court, is kind of calling the shots. He's the one who's coming up with a plan of action to fight against the King of Highburn. So I was kind of curious what you thought about the way that he's approaching this problem, you know, going to the Summer Court to get the book, going, trying to liaise with the human queens via Nesta and Elaine, and then his behavior in the Court of Nightmares. So, Maria, what do you think about all the stuff that he's doing? So I think he's suddenly become quite the diplomat, because, like you said, he's he writes to visit the Summer Court, he writes asking to meet the Human Queens, he's had interactions with the Spring Court, we've seen him with his own court, We've seen him with Valeris, yeah. So he seems to be attempting to be diplomatic as much as possible. For someone who's supposed to be from a court of savages, he does seem to be attempting to do everything in the most peaceful way possible. So he's asked to visit the summer court. And obviously there are alternative reasons for being there to what they, they kind of admit up front. But he's also trying to organise... Like, I mean, it, it is the cover story, but he is organizing trade. He's organizing, um, he's organizing partnering up with Tarquin. He's offering support for Tarquin, who's the High Lord of the Summer Court. He's offering up support for Tarquin's politics, which would offer more fairness to um, lower class citizens. He's negotiating with the human queens. He seems to be quite good at politics. And we found out that he's the strongest High Lord in existence. So maybe he doesn't even need to be. So he's clearly somebody who gives value to other people's rights and to other people's opinions. He does seem to be balancing an awful lot. It's like the person with the, the plate spinning on top of a stick. He's trying to keep a lot of plates spinning. I agree. I think it's important to mention like he's not... He okay. He probably could, as he is the most powerful. He probably could just do what he wants. The, you know, the power well, let's call it. But it's important to mention that the book has to be obtained freely, so he has no choice but to be diplomatic with the human queens. And then, in the case of the summer court, he does very much need a plausible reason to be there and to bring Fair and Amran. So I think he. He's clearly very smart and he knows how to play the role and exactly which role he needs to play at a given time. But do you think it's really necessary for him to lie to Tarquin about why he's visiting the Summer Court? Because he gets there. They're there for almost a week, I think. And for all intents and purposes, he says it's like a diplomatic mission to, you know, foster new relations with the new high lord who is young and untested he became high lord under the mountain and every other court views reese as this horrible sadistic evil 
villain, basically. Mm -hmm. We obviously know that he is not like that, really. This is just an image that for some reason he feels he needs to portray to the rest of the world. But then he yeah. gets to the summer court and he's being quite friendly, you know, polite. I mean, Summer already have some indication that he maybe isn't the person that everyone thinks he is. So maybe that's why he's a bit more open to not being the scary bad guy when he gets there. Sure, but why can't he just ask them for the book? Well, I think, um, I mean, the the problem is maybe not that Ryzand can't ask. I mean, he, it's, he's considered asking. He says as much. But I think it's actually that they probably wouldn't have given it, you know, and then... And then they'd have to steal it anyway. Yeah, exactly. They would have known what he was looking for. They might have figured out why. They might have given the book to Highburn in exchange for for something, you know, protection. Like, they had a, a very important part in this. And the reason why I think that he has some right to be cautious is that Tarquin's cousin, Cressida, she threatens Farah a few times on first meeting her, knowing full well that Farah died to save every single person there including herself knowing that she faced everything under the mountain knowing because the stories have circulated that she escaped Tamlin and ran away from him she still threatens to deliver her back she makes allegations like that so if Farah is the savior of the land and Ryzen is rumored to be the most <laughs> deadly conniving monster that exists I just don't think that even if he's shown them a glimmer of of who he really is, I don't think the summer court can be relied upon to, to know that he means well with something really powerful. And I think that the fact that they threatened to return Farah to Tamlin under the circumstances, knowing why she left, it's also mentioned that they, they did, would do a lot to protect their people. So like maybe they'd happily give the book to Hybern in exchange for a promise that they wouldn't be slaughtered again, you know? So I think he can't trust the summer court, but mm -hmm. Ryzen weighs all of that up. Okay. That's fair. Um, I just kind of saw it as, you know, if Rysand had laid all his cards out on the table, told them, you know, war is coming. Hybern is going to attack. We need the book to fight Hybern. Will you be our allies? might have been a better step forward in terms of diplomatic relations rather than schmoozing them for a week and then stealing mm -hmm. the book from right under their noses just as they were starting to trust them, you know? I think the idea was to not get caught. <laughs> Obviously, but <laughs> eventually they would have realized that the book was missing and, you know, they're not stupid. I'm sure they would have put two and two together. Yeah, I think, I wonder if the plan was to be like, oh, wow, sorry, I must have packed that with my stuff when I left. Here, <laughs> you can have it back now. But also, we get the sense that Reese and Feyre, there is an attraction between them. They're, they've been flirting. They, there's definitely at least a friendship developing between them. But Reese quite clearly tells Feyre that she is to do whatever is within her power to get Tarquin on their side, including sleeping with him if necessary. Do you think he meant that though? Or that it was like a sort of a, not a flirt, but... A taunt. Yeah, maybe that. I kind of believed it. And it made me feel uncomfortable because he's basically using her at this point and like pimping her out almost. I didn't see that yeah, specifically as a flirtation. I mean, there was other flirtations or like teasing, taunting her about, you know, if she wants to move on from Tamlin, maybe she can go sleep with Cassian or whatever. But I didn't read this scene in particular as just him taunting her again. I think, though, he says, you know, do whatever is necessary, leaving it open-ended, and that she's the one that suggests that. So, you know... It, it it definitely it it's off track for their usual kind of line of thing, but also then he's very like if that's what you want to do, you can do it. You can make up your mind, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. he's just saying, you know, do whatever you can, but 
he's also letting her decide what her limit is, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of am more on Maria's reading of the situation. Okay. I think also it was brought up... I think at this point, we're beginning to have a bit of sexual tension. And I think that it was literally just a way to bring sex into the conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a suggestion that she should do something like that. I think it was literally just another way for them to kind of have this weird flirting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Like, why don't Fair you go enough. sleep with someone else? You know, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this doesn't bother but me yeah. at all. In fact, I'm just going to go off and flirt with another woman right in front of you and pretend I don't see you. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. This is how we prove to each other that we love each other. It's okay. Yeah, it's one step up from pulling her hair in the playground. But yeah. <laughs> so healthy. The reason I kind of bring up this question of, of sex and using sex as a way to gain power or to gain information is to bring me to the scene at the night court, which is another element of the politics. Because we get the scene where Reese says that they need to go to the Court of Nightmares, which is where Moore's family lives. This is under a mountain. It's not under the mountain, which becomes very confusing. And whenever he goes there... He needs to present this evil persona, and so does everybody else in the inner circle. And so he warns Feyre that, you know, he will behave in a different way. He doesn't really feel comfortable taking Feyre there, but as you've already said, he's really clear on the fact that it's her choice if she goes or not. And she's supposed to pretend or to play act that she's his pet, his concubine, I don't know what do we want to call her. <laughs> Sorry, concubine was the last word I was expecting you to say. Oh, well, what, what did you want me to call her? <laughs> I don't know. Plaything, I think she Plaything. said in the book. Sure. Concubine's better. I like it more. It reminds me of Mulan. I mean, but don't yeah. get me wrong. It's a really sexy, hot scene. I, I, I like it. But I question the reasoning behind why that had to happen. Can I just say that I think this is the stupidest reasoning possible. So you're right to question it. (laughs) Like the whole reason is like, oh, like the two of you just go sit on this throne and like act a little bit too much into your public displays of affection and everyone will be so distracted that no one will notice someone sneaking off to steal something hidden in a corner of this underground court. And I'm like, they could have had a fight. That would have been so much more distracting. Ryzen could have made the room really dark. That would like, <laughs> I, there's a million reasons. This is such, it's so stupid. It's just so incredibly stupid. Like if you're going to rob a bank, you would not ask somebody to come in and do a pole dance so that the guys could like steal the stuff in the back. <laughs> it just makes no sense. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny. And obviously it's it's an important, I guess it was one of those, like you said earlier, I think uh, trying to write into scenes how like Fair and Ryzen first start to like kind of develop their relationship is difficult until they're given hurdles that conveniently allow them to do that so I think this is just one of those hurdles that conveniently he's like oh you'll like sit on my lap and then you know like everyone will be looking at us and hey if you happen to realize you're really attracted to me you know whatever happens happens that's convenient uh, (laughs) yeah exactly what do you think Jesse I don't know I thought it was so stupid like hilarious I mean yeah it's kind of like you know there were a lot of other things that could have happened to achieve the goal of creating a distraction um if we're gonna really try and make the shoe fit on this one and make it be the best possible distraction, then I don't know, Ferris playing the role of, let's say, his plaything. She's wearing the same thing she was wearing under the mountain, which also kind of doesn't make sense because it's also mentioned that everyone from the Court of Nightmares was killed almost immediately by Amaranthus. They weren't there to see her wearing what she was wearing, so she probably could have just worn a regular dress. Were they? The were ones they? that were with oh, him. Oh, that's mentioned later, actually. Sorry. That was probably a spoiler. 
No, I mean, it was mentioned that uh, whoever was already under the mountain who was a member of the Night Court or like the Court of Nightmares, whatever you want to call them. Mm. I don't know yes. if they were killed, though, because I don't think it's a spoiler either. Like, Reese controlled all of their minds and, like, wiped uh, their memories of Valeris. And yes, okay, maybe she just killed they... some of them. Yeah, okay. I think so. Okay. Any case, go on. I think maybe, like, whoever was there as his, like, guards or something. Because I do think she kills someone in retaliation. Yeah, probably. For, for uh, Ryzen's okay, okay. family so, okay. being on the opposing side of the war. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there's a reason that she's wearing this ridiculous outfit. But anyway, and she has, you know, they're they're sitting on the throne and, you know, everyone is enraptured and they make... I Actually, I find it really funny that they did this while... I don't know how to pronounce his name. Kier? Kier? I was calling him Kier. Mm-hmm. While he just has to mm-hmm. stand there holding this glass of wine in my mind. That was just so funny. And, like, they explicitly mentioned that he's super disgusted and you're like, yeah, of course he was. <laughs> Yeah, look away. <laughs> yeah, he just You're has disgusted. to, and he's openly staring at them as well. Which I'm like, what? Oh, anyway, that was bizarre. Yeah. What did you think, Lucia? I mean, you know, if you look at it too closely, it all kind of falls apart. If you just look at it superficially, it's 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 sexy. I mean, Reese and Feyre, there's obvious chemistry between them. They are two consenting Mm -hmm. adults. They know what's going on. They've been tiptoeing around this for a while. And I mean, exhibitionism, you know, everyone has their own kink, whatever. (laughs) But yeah, I just... (sighs) The whole concept for me of we're walking into this creepy... Not even creepy, but like sadistic place with all these horrible people. And so we're gonna dress provocatively, like both Moore and Feyre. There's a lot of emphasis placed on what they're wearing and what kind of image this is supposed to give everyone. But like everyone who's already there, they're also, from what the way I read it, like the music is supposed to be you know, like this heavy bass, they're kind of dancing, gyrating, writhing against (laughs) each other. So it's all already kind of like, what's happening here? So it's a strange environment. It's a yeah, exactly. And it doesn't really feel like what Feyre and Tam, uh, God, not Tamlin, Reese are doing on the throne is really out of place. Like, no, it's mentioned. Yeah, there's a lot of writhing, as you said. Exactly. So I don't really see why Kier is that disgusted. But I think the entire ridiculousness of this scene was simply so that Kier could insult Fair at the end and then Reese could be angry. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that is what it, what, the purpose that it serves plot wise, yes. So, but like, it kind of like, didn't Reese see this coming? Or was this his thing all along? Is this what did he want to provoke Kier to this point so that he could find an excuse to punish him? Because he must have known that this is what was going to happen. I also think he would have been better just punishing him from the start. Like he wanted to distract Kier. Yes. So that something from his own Kier, who's Mars' father, mm. he wanted to distract Kier enough that something could be stolen from his house. But he obviously hates him. So I think he should have just gone straight in for the punishment. Like, I mean, you know, these seem like terrible people, so we can justify hurting them without a reason, right? Hmm. That's that's allowed. You know, that doesn't question the morals of our characters because the other guys were bad first, right? But uh, yeah, it's all a bit inconsistent in this scene. But I think he could have just gone straight for punishing Kier. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think he could have done anything and nobody would have questioned him because everyone seems to be so terrified of Reese anyway. But yeah, also the point you were making earlier about why was he disgusted when that's literally the vibe of the room goes beyond me. Maybe he's a prude. I think it's just because it's Feyre. I think that's, Mm -hmm. or at least that's the way that I understood it, that he's disgusted by Feyre and the fact that she used to be a human maybe, or that she's just kind of going from court to court seemingly. You know, first she was with Tamlin, now Mm. she's with Reese. Who even is this this lady yeah it's a weird one but yeah i don't think asriel's a very good master of spies if he needs this kind of a show 
to steal something in his own court. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> Although I don't want any Don talking of Azrael. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> okay. But yeah, just what you, you said about <laughs> the fact that he just has to stand there. <laughs> just watch them do this. <laughs> I mean... But he chooses to. But does he? Because... He can't really leave. He has the wine. Exactly. Like, this is the real power play, you know? This is Reese at his worst in terms of, I know exactly how much power I have over you, and I'm going to make you just stand there and take it. <laughs> Maybe that was the whole but point. But it's funny. So, Jess, why can't we talk bad about Asriel? What's what's uh, What's the story there? I just love him as a character. You know, he's... In many ways, a gentle soul, a long-suffering, that's fair, gentle soul with, you know, really cool powers. But you know, he's just even with the dinner with the, you know, the dinner with Ferris family, which maybe happened at the end of the chapters of the last episode. But himself and Elaine are like the, the two characters who kind of carry the dinner with polite conversation and manners. You know, it's just a, it's a gentle soul who has endured a lot. Yes, because we start off based with them in the human lands, which is another point of the politics. So they want to set up a meeting with the human queens. So they go and they talk to Nesta and Elaine. Obviously, this is the first time that Nesta and Elaine have seen Feyre since she became a high fae. So they have to explain all of that. And it's not the most comfortable dinner party, I guess we could say. It sounds like a dinner that you would do anything to get away from. Yes, because there's accusations and insults flying everywhere, particularly from Nesta, obviously, whom we already talked about in the first book. She is a very prickly character. Elaine seemingly is still just gardening and engaged to someone to be married. So how do we feel about the humans and that kind of politicking? Just specifically the sisters? Um, in general. Just the sisters and then the queens. Well, we have found out as well that, like, you know, Elaine's engaged, yeah, as you said, to, like, fairy haters. Mm -hmm. So the local political environments out of the wall continues to be hatred for the fae. The queens, when we meet them, I think Vera describes them as spiders at a certain point. So we kind of see that they're, the like, humans can be as bad as the fae sometimes. Like, obviously, the, the fairy haters that Elaine is, is engaged to are doing it out of fear. Mm -hmm. And then also, we've seen bad in Elaine and Nesta before, and they're politicking as well, and that they're reluctant to help Fera, uh, even when she says, look, this is for the survival of everyone. They're like, go somewhere else. Use someone else. Not me. I shouldn't have to be the one to sacrifice. I shouldn't have to suffer for this. The queen's... They want something in exchange for helping, even though the people who are coming are saying, we want to save you. Will you help me help you? And the queens are saying, well, I'm going to need something in exchange if you want to help me. It's it's all selfish, I think, with the humans compared to, but I suppose some of the fair are quite selfish as well. I completely agree. The queens, yeah, they're kind of the example of the people who had a lot of power their whole lives. And they're so willing to sacrifice the the humans of Prithian because for the greater good, which I mean, from a, stack, a, a tactical perspective, you can kind of understand, but also like you can't understand that from a humanitarian perspective, like as queen of the human lands, you can't just abandon half of a country. No, well, okay, not half of a country, but a large population like that, just without making even a bit of effort. They're, they're very cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're... They're very cold, they're very calculating. There's supposed to be six of them, but only five show up, because apparently the sixth one isn't feeling very well or whatever. Immediately suspicious. Yes, and out of the five that show up, only two really speak. I think the youngest one and the oldest one. It's never really fully explained why there are six queens. Like, is it is it supposed to be similar to Prithian, like, that it's divided into different territories? I suppose, I don't know. It's also kind of implied that they all live in one palace. It is implied, right? I'm, I wasn't misreading that. Because Asriel was supposed to go spy on them and see if there's any way to sneak into the castle. 
But they only ever mention one castle, so I guess they all live together. And they all arrive together. They all arrive together. They, they winnow in. Yeah, exactly. So it seems like they have some kind of power or someone in their castle or whatever can winnow them in, which seems to be a fey ability. They are... What's the word I'm looking for? Benefiting from fey. From the fey and from, I guess, the treaty that mm-hmm. was signed between the fey and the humans but at the same time still really hate the fae and don't really want to have anything to do with anything i don't like yeah. them <laughs> <laughs> they're mean they're mean uh, but yeah i mean when even nesta stands up to you and says you're in the wrong you must be really in the wrong <laughs> yeah because her moral compass is, is it's a broken circle mm. like but yeah they also are quite um, dismissive of Farah as well, mm-hmm. you know, saying, oh, you're only young, you know, and they, they're like kind of expecting respect towards her. But I think Jesse mentioned like they've had pampered lives. They're sitting in the home of somebody who was left to starve and find her own survival. Obviously, they're sitting in a nice home now, but they have to know the backstory enough to know what's happening, you know, and they have nerve after leading their pampered lives to sit in front of someone who was left in in starvation for years and say, oh, no, you don't know anything because you're young. Mm. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah, they're they're not a great representation for human leaders. No, not at all. They make Tamlin look reasonable. (laughs) We get some, would we call it flirtation between Cassian and and Nesta? What, what, What kind of vibes are we feeling there, ladies? Goodness, do you think it's flirtation at that point? Definitely. It's from Cassian, and I suppose Nesta showing more hatred than usual is probably her version of flirtation. <laughs> That's practically her okay, love language. Okay, I read it as like outright hostility. Yeah, but... I think it's hostility with an undertone of attraction. Oh yeah, definitely. It's like, yeah, there's like some kind of challenge between the two of them nearly that they have to back and forth. I'm curious. I can't wait to see where that's going to go. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> anyway... What do we want to talk about next? I suppose, yeah, we have outlined here as well about Ryzen of Faria's developing relationship in, in this part of of the second book. So mm-hmm. Ryzen and Farah have gotten closer. They've started sending notes to each other, like kids in class. Mm. She started training with him. So there's that. She's started to open up to him. They've conspired together to steal from Tarquin. They've uh, begin to work together as a team. Mm-hmm. So I think their relationship develops a lot in this portion of the book. And it happens to coincide with an improvement in Farah's mental health and her physical health, of course. And maybe an improvement in Ryzen's as well. Mm-hmm. Because we see that he also has nightmares. We see that he also is troubled by the, the memories. And I think Cassian comments on he's out of shape or he's not in as good condition as he used to be. So I think they're mutually helping each other, which is nice for them both. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jesse? Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. They've kindly gone from, I mean, at the start, they weren't really either. Like they weren't friends, certainly at the start, but Fair was heavily depressed. So did she have any friends? Debatable. Mm. No, nope. but yeah, they kind of, they definitely become fast friends. There's a lot of flirting. We kind of see that things are pointing towards, is this flirting going to go somewhere? Probably. Uh, everybody's interested. I really like the development in their relationship. I like that we're taking it slow, that we're not just jumping straight from one love interest to another love interest. And I think Feyre even realizes this herself, like at some point... I think it was after that scene at the Court of Nightmares when she feels an actual physical attraction towards Reese, and she starts immediately to feel guilty because she feels like even though she's left Tamlin, it's been, what, a month or two months at most since she left the Spring Court, and she feels like she's betraying him in some way, that she's moving on too fast. Mm-hmm. She really agonizes over it. Yeah, she really does. And I and I liked seeing that because it it felt natural, you know? Like I don't mm-hmm. 
as as horrible as Tamlin might have ended up being in his relationship with her and in the way that he treated her, at some point they did love each other. Like they did genuinely love each other. And, you know, she was obviously very hurt. It was not an easy decision for her to leave and stay away. So I appreciated that sh- that we didn't just forget that Tamlin ever existed because we are still in the same book. Like, <laughs> we're mm-hmm. only a few chapters after she's left the Spring Court. So I like that she had that moment of, oh, is this moving too fast? Maybe we should slow down. It's unfortunate that she doesn't talk to Reese about how she's feeling so that there wouldn't be any misunderstandings and miscommunications later on. But... It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the relationship is overall positive, though. Yeah. And healthy. They're, yeah, just their relationship as two people. Not necessarily their relationship as a couple, but just their relationship as people who know each other is increasing in its worth mm-hmm. rather than her relationship with Tamlin, which decreases yeah. correspondingly. They open up to each other. They they don't shy away from showing their negative sides or yeah. feeling like they have to deal with their trauma by themselves. So just the fact that Reese even lets her, you know, in quotation mark, lets her talk to him after his nightmare and allows her to give him comfort, which is something that Tamlin never let Feyre do. Tamlin also had nightmares. He would wake Feyre up regularly but he would never accept comfort from her. He never wanted to talk about it afterwards. Whereas Reese isn't like that. They have the scene in, in the bedroom where she, you know, talks to him about what nightmare he had and he opens up to her. So they are healing together, which mm-hmm. is really nice. And it's 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 nice to see, is all I'm trying to say. I really enjoy that scene with the nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get... Yeah, also, isn't that... Yeah. The scene with the nightmare is where we have a marker of Farrah's improving mental health as well, in that she starts to imagine painting again. Exactly. Yes. We get the mention of the tattoos that Reese has on his knees. Do you guys imagine those on his actual kneecaps or just above the knee? No, she, they can't be on his kneecaps because she saw them when he was kneeling. Yeah. I was thinking about this. So they're like actually on the lower thigh just above the knee. I think so. Yeah, I think so as well. That's where I imagine they are. But then when she says on his knees, I was like, that would be so painful getting your kneecap tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I read it as just above the kneecap, kind of. Okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a dull tattoo, but okay. I mean, it has significance. We don't know what it means yet, but I think we, we do find out. Yeah, she asks him, like, the next day. Exactly, like, what does it actually mean in terms of why is it... The way that I read it, why is it placed on his knees is supposed to signify that he's never going to kneel for anyone else. But why it is the the mountains with the stars, I think we get that explanation a bit later on in the story. No, I I just find it funny because, like, you'd have to see his knees to know that he's not going to kneel. Mm-hmm. So he'd have to be wearing at least shorts. That's what I'm saying. Is that, is that his power play? Like that he walks around in shorts and people see the tattoo and they're like, oh, damn. <laughs> you know, that, that that's just funny. Maybe that's it because he always wears a suit. Because other than and that, so then, he's wearing his... Yeah, if you can't see the tattoo, then you need to just know that he's not going to kneel for any other um, authority. And yeah. then if you know them, why does he need the tattoos? <laughs> so, But... <laughs> You know, Maria, tattoos aren't for other people. They're kind of oh, a sorry, personal sorry. thing. <laughs> of course, I forgot that. I forgot that. Except for the bargain ones, which, you know, are, but yeah, it's a whole thing. Like, Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The politics of tattoos, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, anything else about Feyre and Reese? We haven't really talked about Valaris at all. And I feel like maybe this yeah. is also an important part of their relationship. So, Valaris is the city that they're in. It's a city in the Night Court. And on the surface, it seems really nice and very calm and peaceful. On another hand, 
it starts to grate on me just how perfect everything in the night court seems to be. Like the fact that it's absolutely everything that Feyre needs. It even has, you know, the artist's quarter. How convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that's just me being cynical. So how, what do you ladies think about Valeris and what it represents? Do you know, I hadn't really consciously thought about this. I agree that, okay, it does happen to be quite perfect. However, spoiler warning mm-hmm. for A Court of Silver Flames, we do learn that it does have some less than perfect parts. But yeah, I, I think it was something I was happy to mentally glaze over, to be very honest. I was just like, yeah, Valaris is great. <laughs> I just, I still couldn't see why it was so great, you know, because they're just ordinary people. Mm-hmm. I know that that's great. Don't get me wrong, ordinary people are great, but it was just ordinary people everywhere, <laughs> you know? And yeah, they're, they're conveniently, like it's a small isolated city and nobody else knows it exists and they've got a jewellery quarter. Like, you know, everyone must be rich here, but how is everyone rich? And I did actually think about that. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of wealth. It's like they've just picked a nice little neighbourhood for all of the... The conveniently wealthy, but the people that we're seeing as the good people and they're just normal people. But like, I don't see why this should be unique. Yeah. And there's also a lot of trade. Who are they trading with if nobody knows they exist? Oh, yeah. But this is explained. But it's explained stupidly. A bit, but... (laughs) What's the explanation? So the the people that like say they trade with have been given um it's it's so dumb have been given powers to come up with very convincing lies for where they got their materials. So it's like kind of protective charms around the place. Stop some people from entering, stop some people from being able to speak about it, and then for others give them the ability to come up with really convincing stories for, for where they find found these gods which is incredibly dumb because it's a bit funny well yeah no it's it's funny but it's also like you know like where did you get this painting and they're like oh i found it and then (laughs) well if it's a convincing story it's from this village you you wouldn't have heard of it yeah but like it has to be convincing right so like what even is an incredibly convincing lie for an abstract good you know i somehow missed that okay because i know that trade was stopped while Reese was under the mountain. Yeah, they went completely dark. Yes, but now it's it's opened up again. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a bit overblown. It's a bit too much. Like, why Valaris? Why not any other city? Simply because it has the, the artist's quarter, really. This is what we're going with. But it's fair as an artist, you know? It's convenient course, for her plotline. She loves art. Yes, uh, I, I, do I think- get it. There is an element of the people there believe they're good and because of that they act like they're good so they don't seem to be... It's very mature. Yeah, like they do seem to be like calm, you know, kind of generally good people. They're happy to work, you know, everyday jobs like, you know, there's butchers and we meet a cook and everything so there are just everyday people who are willing to do good and be good so mm. I think something about they they appreciate the the privilege that they have. No, for sure. I mean, you know, at the beginning, Farah feels bitterness towards the fact that why was just this one city saved and everybody else suffered? But she does come to understand why Reese did what he did, and I think this is the number one example of why Reese probably isn't the evil, sadistic bastard that everyone thinks he is. Is his love of Valeris and the fact that. The last thing that he could do before he was trapped under the mountain is to protect this one city and everyone who lived in it. So obviously he's not, he can't be that bad if he cares about other people and he can walk around the city and everyone loves him. You know, it's, it's a direct contrast to, to how people treat Tamlin. Everyone's afraid of Tamlin. Nobody really wants to have anything to do with him. He's supposed to be like the king in his castle Whereas Reese is almost like one of the the normal people. A man of the people. He has a favorite restaurant that he goes to with his friends. And a club. Yeah, a nightclub for sure. Uh, he, he has his townhouse and he has the other House of Wind. 
Everyone yeah. loves Reese. Reese is amazing. Then the other aspect of, of this kind of, well, not specifically being in Valaris, but we also have on, on our kind of talking points here as Ferris powers. Mm-hmm. And she starts training them once she's in Valaris, correct? She doesn't start training them before she's moved to Valaris at any point, does she? Well, no, because when she's in the spring court, definitely yeah. not, because everyone pretends that she doesn't have them. They come out every once in a while when she's in distress, so she can call on wind to create the barrier between her and Tamlin when Tamlin's temper explodes. She accidentally goes into Lucian's mind at some point when they're having an argument, but that's not under her control. It's when she moves to Valeris and she's with Reese and the inner circle that she starts to actually train them, yeah. Yeah, so she starts, Valeris is kind of a safe haven for her to train her powers to train mm-hmm. physically to recover. So I think it's it's for Pharaoh what it was for everybody else. It's kind of like a, a place of privilege to it's good, so you'll be good here. Jess, do you want to talk a bit about all the powers that she has and how she trains them? We know she has, as mentioned, kind of the power to summon wind. She has, but I can't remember who that came from. Do either of you guys remember off the top of your head? I think it's Daycourt. Is it? Yeah, I think so. She has the ability to kind of summon heat through her hands, so she kind of burns the table, which comes from the Autumn Court. She has the mental kind of abilities that Rysand has. Mm -hmm. Uh, She can also summon darkness. She does that when she has her kind of meltdown in the Spring Court. Mm -hmm. She has the ability to summon frost, which comes from the Winter Court. We see extensively in the Summer Court her gifts with water. And shape-shifting. I think at this point... Ah, yes, the shape-shifting. She can summon talons. Yeah. And she has frequently done that. And that comes from Tamlin in the Spring Court. But I think she can actually... She shape-shifts into Tarquin at a certain point as well. She does, yes. To take the book, she actually completely transitions her physical form into Tamlin. No, wrong. Tarquin. Yeah. That'll be handy. So she's been practicing her powers with Rizand and... She also has been learning about the individual High Lords in an attempt to kind of further understand the powers. But yeah, there's I think there's a moment in the Summer Court when she's messing around with the water where she kind of claims the power for herself. She's like, no, these are my powers. I'm the master of the water. It's not just Tarquin's power. It's mine now. Yes, there is a moment of realization, yeah, when she... I think it's supposed to signify that until that point she is still unsure of herself, feels kind of broken... And doesn't mm-hmm. maybe fully want to accept that she is a high fae with all these new abilities. Whereas, yeah. she yeah, she does come to this kind of moment of realization of, no, these are my powers and I can control them any way that I want. And I can combine them in new ways that nobody else has been able to do before because they would have like an individual power, whereas I have all of them. She's different and she, she owns it now. What did you guys think of that scene where she's with Amran in that temple trying to steal the book? It was so good. Did it work for you? Was it exciting? Was it anxiety-inducing? I thought there was so much tension. It was it was fast-paced. It was like, there was such a sense of panic. Also, I like that we got to see a bit of Amran's power. Yeah. Yes. I didn't understand that part. So, can Amran summon fire? Or what is her actual power? Because she was like, she melted the door or something? We, I don't think it's explained at all what her power is. It's just that she, these are things she can do with her power. Yeah, it's left very vague. But I think one of her things that she does is she holds the door open. Mm. She seems to have incredible strength. Yeah, she can manifest, but not physically. Physically, very has to put her on her shoulders to help her get out of there. That mental image is so funny. It's quite <laughs> funny. But yeah, she seems to have yeah some level control i this that scene kind of annoyed me because i feel like if you're gonna plan something they should have planned better you know obviously there's some mention of perhaps the tide turns faster on them once they're in the middle of this mission maybe it's been spelled that way but i feel like if there's a very brief window where you can kind of carry out something like this then you start ahead of time 
you don't want to be starting this mission when the tide is at its lowest. So I just think that this, it kind of feels rushed and I suppose they are rushed and they have little time left. But then Ryzen confesses that he, when he's trying to, to keep Farah and Amrin's scouring of the Summer Court Temple, he's trying to keep it a secret by hunting down any guards who see them. He uh, just doesn't use his powers to like wipe their minds. He fights them off physically. I just thought that was unusually thoughtless of him. Can I say one thing? I The thing about the tide, maybe this was how I read it, might have not been necessarily quote-unquote correct, but I assumed it was because, you know, when she took the book and she's like, I am Summer, I am Tarquin, blah, blah, blah. But then at the end, the book recognises that she's not and it calls her a liar. I assumed that the combination of the Summer of Tarquin's, let's say, protection on the book. Obviously, the book realised that someone was trying to take it that wasn't Tarquin. And so also the sea seems to be Tarquin's servant. I assumed that they Mm -hmm. were connected, that the sea came in faster in a way that was linked to them taking the book. Yeah, I I think so. I think it it insinuates that. Mm. But then also, this is is the book. Like, Amran's afraid of this book. Why is it serving... One of the High Lords. It got Stockholm Syndrome and into its new house. <laughs> yeah, it's not really fully explained everything around the book. And I agree with Maria. I feel like the whole plan was rushed. Like they've been there. I know that it. they've been there for a while and it took Feyre up until almost the last day to even realize where the book was. So they were running out of time. But yeah, like they could have thought about it a bit more. Maybe they could have come back a bit later, like, okay, we'll go back to the night court now and then, oh, Tarquin, I want to spend some more time with you. Can I come visit you on the weekend kind of thing? And then they could have stolen it or something. It just felt like they went into it with no plan whatsoever. And yeah, yeah, short-sightedness, like, like, did they actually think that nothing was going to go wrong, that they could just waltz (laughs) into this, this underground cavern and steal a mystical book and nobody would mm-hmm. realize that there would be no booby traps or anything. It just felt a bit, nah. Also, obviously, when she's asking questions about it, she raises suspicions and she has to kind of invade Tarquin's mind to convince him not to to be suspicious of her. She's already invaded his mind. She couldn't have taken a route around to see what kind of protections were in place. Mm-hmm. I just find that a bit, yeah, a lack of planning. But either way, they do get the book. It it had some elements of feeling like another of her trials. We kind of feel like like Farah has a few more trials in this one as well. But she's rescued by the water rates that she helped at the start of the book. So it's a nice circular tying up their story. It's a nice moment. Hmm. It is, yeah, it's her Her kindness has saved her life. Yeah. Her human heart has saved her immortal life. But I also, like, Farah has the power to control water. She could control the air in Tamlin's study when he had an outburst of temper. Without having any training, she controlled that air. But having been working on the control of the water, she can't even do anything. Like, it's just very strange. I kind of explain that off as, you know, she's stressed, you know, I don't, I feel like yeah. she, she, so far in terms of her abilities of water, she's created cute little water animals, but she hasn't really controlled large bodies of water the way that she would need to in order to escape this, whatever they're in. I was kind of disappointed with Amran's character in this situation, like, she doesn't really do much considering she's supposed to be the scary being. Yeah. A bit disappointing. I'm generally not blown away by Amran. I think she's my least favorite in terms of the inner court. She's being hyped up to be this mystical, all-powerful, super scary being. But she, I don't know, like even the fact that it takes her so long to read the book. Where's all your, where's all your power coming from, Amran? What do you actually contribute at this point? Anyway... Maybe she'll do something in future. Who knows? Maybe she will. Who knows? What else do you guys want to talk about? Starfall. It's... (laughs) Reading it now, I was a bit like... It's in the name. 
of the event. Probably the name means something, right? And the fact that Feyre is so in awe of all the falling stars is like, well, what did you think was going to happen, Feyre? What did you actually expect this event to be? Am I just being really cynical mm. or... I think it's the beauty of it that she's so odd, by maybe not necessarily that it's happening. For sure. Okay, that's just me then. <laughs> I do think maybe whatever she had expected, it probably wasn't going to be weird glow-in-the-dark ghosts hitting you in the face. Mm. But yeah, it does kind of seem like it does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah. The Illyrians, do we want to mention the Illyrians? Just briefly explain who they are, because they'll be important later I think on. that's important. Yeah, and because we've already kind of seen a bit of them. So obviously we know at this point that Ryzen's mother was Illyrian. Mm-hmm. And he is half, and he is technically not High Fae because he has wings. We've seen them on and off. And that the training that he received as a child was Illyrian so that he would have resources other than intelligence and his his kind of magic powers. So they are kind of a, a force of, they don't consider themselves lesser fae, but I guess they would be defined as lesser fae by, by other courts and other people who exist in the night court. They're kind of a very long existing clan and they live in the mountains in the Alarian. Do we call it steeps or steps? I always think of it as steeps, but yeah. They live in a region of the Night Court that seems to be very harsh and very unforgiving. And the people have very old beliefs and morals. And they train men up to be fighters. And that seems to kind of be their only achievement is if they've gained a place of power in their fighting forces while the women do the more kind of household tasks they're cooks they're cleaners they're maids they do have some element of there are lords and there are kind of their own nobility but the vast majority of them just make up fighting forces and they're under Ryzen's control because they're part of the night court but they don't always listen to his orders and we visit them on an off we visit them in this and we visit them in this section as well Mm -hmm. when we see some of their kind of prejudices towards women Uh, but obviously Cassian and Asriel have hailed from from this group of people so they also have the potential to produce good people Mm. I just kind of realized they're sort of like winged spartans that's a good way of describing them yes with like the isn't there the kind of the thought that the Spartans used to cast their children out into the cold at a certain age and they had to like survive a certain number of nights and make it back to the tribe and then they could become a warrior. Maybe. Maybe I'm... I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe maybe I saw this in their movie. Who knows? But it made me think of the fact that the Illyrians choose the most inhospitable places to breed the toughest warriors. Yeah. So we find out about them because Cassian, I think, is fully Illyrian, but... He was one of the ones that was cast out as a child to kind of fend for himself. Asriel was... Why was Asriel there? Because is he Illyrian, actually? Yes. Yeah. Is his father Illyrian? His father was one of the lords. Right. Ah, but he's a bastard son. Because... Yeah. Or we should... Yeah, okay. Maybe not the correct terminology, but as in he was conceived out of wedlock. Well, that's what they refer to him as. In the book. Yes, they do. Uh, the same with Cassian, because Cassian's mother never really told anyone who his father is. And Reese is considered as good as a bastard because he's half and half. So they kind of grew up together. They didn't like each other at the beginning, but obviously they became like brothers. And... Probably the most barbaric thing that the Illyrians do in terms of their treatment of the females is that they clip their wings so that they can't fly and therefore can't really do anything apart from stay at home and, as Maria said, do the housework. Mm. It's horrible to, to think about. And Reese's mother is one of the few... Illyrian females who was saved from this because but simply because 
Reese's father, who was the High Lord, was her mate and showed up at the right time to save her. Yeah. But it's just another example of the brutality towards the female population. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not a good place to be born a woman. Nope. Not a good place to be born. Very true. <laughs> That's also true, yes. Moore's backstory is also horrific. Jess, do you want to tell us about her backstory? And So we learn that Moore's family are the ruling family within the Court of Nightmares. And I think when she was 17 was the age she was when her power kind of awakened. And it's said that even the mountain trembled that day. So she obviously, again, has a lot of power, even though we're not really sure what it is. Her family were delighted by this because their mindset was that they could essentially sell her off as a wife for someone now with... And they had a better range of suitors to choose from now that she has all this power. So they kind of only see her as as an object to be traded. Moore was then destined to marry the eldest son of the High Lord of the Autumn Court. So her intended husband, his name was Eris, and he's Lucian's eldest brother. Moore didn't want this at all. Um, obviously, though, to her family, her consent was irrelevant. This was They were making this decision for her. To escape this life, she basically decided that she was going to sleep with someone else and quote-unquote, well, not quote from the book, but like you know, quote-unquote, from me. What am I even saying? Sorry. She decided she was going to sleep with someone else to therefore become, let's say, um, an impure bride, which she knew was going to get her out of the marriage. Um, so in the end, she chose this to be Cassian, which caused a massive rift between Cassian and Reese for a while. I've become disconnected. But Lucia, you can just remove that in the thing. But yeah, anyway, when her family found this out, they basically beat her up. They nailed a note to her and saying that she's your problem now and they dumped her on the border of the Autumn Court. And this is where she was found, I think, the next day or some days later by Azrael. So another prime example of brutality and against women by men. This will keep coming up again and again. Uh, it's a It's a theme, let's say, in this series. Cool. So the reason I brought up the Illyrians is because that's basically where we finish off at with chapter 46. They've made contact with the human queens. The human queens want proof of Rhysand's goodness, I suppose. So he's going to show them Valeris. And why are they in the Illyrian mountains again? They decide to leave Valeris. So that Farrah can safely train. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were attacked on the way to their their little display, so they need to go somewhere where they're going to be safe. And who would attack them there? Like, yeah, they've been attacked a few times now. Did we talk about the Ator at all? No. Oh yeah. In any case, the Ator showed up at some point. So they've. It seems like whenever Reese and Feyre are flying somewhere, they are attacked. We don't know by whom. So now they're in the Illyrian Mountains and they're going to train Feyre. We get some more history about Reese and Tamlin, which is that they basically killed each other's families. Which, why? Who started it? Tamlin's father? Was Tamlin's father felt threatened by... Tamlin's friendship with Reese, so he decided mm-hmm. to kill Reese's father, mother and sister. No, no, he wanted to attack Reese. So, oh, they were going to ambush. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Reese was late. He didn't show up when he was supposed to show up, but they killed his family anyway, and they killed his father and his mother and his sister. And then they didn't kill his father. Shit, you're right. They killed his mother and his sister, yeah. You no, know, you're right, absolutely, yeah. So then his father and Reese go to the spring court to exact revenge, and Reese's father is killed, and Reese By Tamlin. Yes, and then they kill Tamlin's father and his brothers, and the deal was that they wouldn't touch his mother, 
but Reese's father kills Tamlin's mother as well. And then there's just yeah. Tamlin and Reese left at the end. And they have now become the High Lords because their fathers are dead. So that's their messed up history. And yeah. Yeah, and also that's why Tamlin became High Lord. All of his brothers who were supposed to be High Lord were killed as well. Yeah. Yes. And... So he should really be thanking Ryzen for his power. Um, should he, though? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> well, he values his power so much. And we find out that Reese's mother's and sister's wings are still at the spring court. That they kind of kept them as a trophy. Uh, which is also awful. It's pretty gross. And so... Yeah. We come to an end. Feyre and Reese are... Somewhere in the mountains, they're being all flirty, and <laughs> then they're ambushed by Lucian and four other sentries from the Spring Court. So we have a cliffhanger ending. Anything else you ladies want to discuss about these 23 chapters that we haven't already touched upon? I think we got into, you know... I think we did them good. I think we kind of got into all the key points. Cool. Okay, so we'll leave it there. And next episode, we're going to talk about the rest of the book. So that's going to be chapters 47 through chapter 69. And yeah, maybe one last question. How are you liking it so far? Loving it. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a reread of a, a already many read book. So that's its own answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm loving it as well. I think it's so much better than the first book. Um, I love all the new characters. Yeah, definitely. We see so much more character development, though, as well. I think it's just all going on. It's all, it's all just happening. Okay, I lied. One more question. We were talking about the wings. How do you feel about the the wings? The fact that they sometimes have wings, other times they don't have wings... I don't fully understand how they wear the clothes that they wear. And um I also don't mm. understand the chairs fashioned to suit the wings. What does that even mean? Mm. I think okay, now I don't want to be the the kind of ambassador on making stuff up, but um I think the idea is that the wings extend kind of quite far down. So where the base of a chair would be for you, their wings would kind of hit a corner that they, you know, as in they couldn't have them. So both. they're sitting on high chairs. Well, like any chair that has a back to it. Um, imagine you had a yeah. cape on. The cape gets crumpled if you sit down, but these are wings, so they can't be crumpled. So I think they have to kind mm -hmm. of move them around uh, the chair, but then they're not tucked in. So they're kind of like, it's like sitting with your arms kind of out is the idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how the clothes work because they're talking about panels that your wings can come through, but then surely they're humongous panels. I just mentally glazed over that because I couldn't understand it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it's it's a bit a bit weird. Mm. And so uh, Cassian and Asriel always have the wings because they're fully Illyrian. Yeah. Whereas Reese can get rid of them or like glamour them away. Yeah. Because he's only half Illyrian. Yeah, exactly. And I think he, yeah, he hides them to kind of keep them a secret. But surely people know that he's half Illyrian. I think he mentions that not many people have seen the wings. That's true. I just... At a cer certain point. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's, it's not, yeah, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Mm. But... Because Tamlin obviously knows about the wings. Does he? Because, well, I mean, if he knew to attack this, yeah. Yeah, because he took... Well, I mean... Yeah. But, yeah, it's a weird one. It's kind of, like, just glossed over. What, what do you think, Jess? Or you didn't think about it? I think I ex exhibited a moment of cognitive dissonance, and because I couldn't understand it, I was just like, let's pretend this mental conundrum doesn't exist mm. that's a nice one i like that <laughs> because for sure he's never shown them to any of his lovers as we find yeah. out because apparently they're very sensitive and he doesn't feel comfortable 
having his wings out um, in the bedroom. Okay. Do we want to talk about the jury and Miriam Dracon thing or we'll just gloss over it for now? Let's gloss. Let's gloss. It's kind of world building that's not really that relevant right now, I guess. Probably in the future, but meh. <laughs> okay, so then we will just leave it here. And I will say thank you again, ladies, for joining me. And I'll see you next week to talk about the end of the book. Until next time. Bye-bye. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading. Jessie? Can't hear you, In the end, she chose it to be Cassian, which caused... (laughs) Oh, no. Well, well, I do Jessie's voice and pretend to be her. (laughs) In the end, she chose Cassian, and uh, that's all I know. Maria, will you take it from here? Yes, I'll happily take it from here. Hello, can you guys hear me? We're back, never mind, thank God. (laughs) We can hear you now. The last thing we heard was she okay. chose Cassian. I continued my explanation even when I got kicked out. I didn't okay, kick good. you out. Cool.